My name is Charles McElroy. I'm the creative director and founding partner of Goldleaf. You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, so today I'm delighted to be talking to the founder of Goldleaf, who you might know initially from their patient journals. Now there's all sorts of different uh, scientific print materials they're doing, but I'm with uh, Charles McElroy. Uh, thanks so much, Charles, for being willing to come on the podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to be here, Jason. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, for anyone that is uh, maybe not so familiar with Goldleaf, do you mind doing just a very brief description of what the company is, what your focus is, and then we'll kind of go a little bit backwards and talk about how you got to where you are now. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so Goldleaf is a science-forward uh, print company uh, specific, specifically for the cannabis community. Um, we make uh, educational prints, um, kind of um, one part infographic, one part artwork, mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, other educational materials, uh, mostly in the form of uh, journals, uh, cards, and other kind of like uh, tactile things that you can print. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really stoked to see um, how the company's grown over the years. I was just saying before we started recording that I've been following Goldleaf ever since like the very first version of the uh, patient journal came yeah. out, which I was so stoked to see. That's so needed. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it's. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go for it. Well, no, I, I, it's funny. It's um, it's 2020 now, and uh, it, it feels like Goldleaf uh, is still so new, but we're um, we're technically four years old. So, uh, yeah, time time really flies. I know, right? It just melts away. It's crazy, <laughs> especially in this industry with everything being so um, chaotic and so much going on all of the time. It uh, yeah, really helps the time pass. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> And my understanding is that Goldleaf is not your first entrepreneurial endeavor. Is that right? That's correct. Um, you... Yeah, I, I kind of cut my teeth in the uh, entrepreneurial world with um, a, a different startup um, that was a sustainable clothing company. Um, we, we mostly made um, jeans uh, and then kind of got into knits and stuff and... Um, yeah, what was unique about that, apart from kind of the sustainable angle, was that we um, we were able to successfully source everything um, within our region here in America, so the Midwest. Oh, um, we cool. utilized these old factories that used to make Levi's uh, pre-NAFTA uh, in Tennessee. Um, we worked with an ex expat, uh, meaning ex-Patagonia employee. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, who, who started a, a new organic... Um, uh, dye house uh, in North Carolina. Um, we got our uh, organic cotton from Georgia. Um, it, it took us a few years to kind of put together that supply chain, but I always yeah. felt that that was the one of the coolest things about Noble. Um, you know, they weren't the the items weren't for everybody. It was kind of a premium product. We we did bespoke items, um, mm -hmm. but uh, there was a lot of operational challenges, and that's that's kind of my sweet spot. Um, and uh, that's kind of uh, how I, I got to know product development, and um, it definitely kind of laid the groundwork for what I do with Goldleaf. Um, you know, having that care and attention in in the quality of the materials, the the product side, as well as 
you know, being okay with spending extra time, attention and, and kind of love into your product so that, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can be happy with it and, uh, you can, you know, hopefully positively impact people. Um, a, a nice clothing item is so different from what we do at gold leaf. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, gold leaf is definitely, you know, probably my brainchild and, and my passion where, um, noble was, um, my, uh, my business partner's passion. Um, but I, it was still a wonderful experience and, um, it, it definitely kind of shaped my approach with, with how I went about, uh, building gold leaf. Yeah. And have you always been sort of attracted to, um, like business management and entrepreneurial stuff like that? Um, Honestly, I didn't, I wasn't really exposed to it, um, yeah. but it, it certainly meets my, um, my personality like spot on. Um, I do the best. I do my best work when it's something that I care about and I'm passionate about. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody probably says that, but, um, I like, so, so before Noble, I was, um, worked in the music industry, um, and mm. was an audio engineer, which is one of the reasons Very why cool. I asked Jason about his microphone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I realized that that was really hard for me because I did not like working on or engineering projects when I did not like the music or I didn't like the band. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it, it was like pulling teeth. It was worse than, um, like a cubicle <laughs> like job or something, yeah. you know? So, um, I, I, I think that that kind of goes in hand in hand with being uh, in the entrepreneurial space because you are working on something that you care about and that is yours and you're cutting your own path. Um, so that resonated with me and, and you know, that that's kind of stuck with me. That's why I'm uh, still doing what I'm doing. Yeah, totally. And, and it seems to be going well from what I can tell. And um, how did you end up sort of uh, pivoting towards this cannabis space? Like, what did that sort of journey look like once you, uh, was there overlap with Noble when you started having the idea for Goldleaf? Or what did that transition look like? There, there was a little overlap, but um, uh, not really that much. I didn't really go in, dive headfirst into Goldleaf until after we had decided to um, step away from Noble. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd, I'd mentioned it was kind of the, uh, the passion of, of my business partner and he, he just got burned out and wanted yeah. to, uh, move on. So, uh, he asked me if I wanted to kind of, you know, take the reins. Um, and I, I really didn't without him. So, um, that was, that was kind of the wind down and, you know, that, that's when, um, he kind of, you know, gave me the affirmation to, to push forward with the gold leaf idea that I'd, I'd been kicking around with him for a while, um, my relationship with cannabis is goes back quite a while, um, you know, and and so the decision to get into the space was not one that I made on a whim or sure. made on the, um, you know, just seeing like, oh, everybody's talking about this being like a green revolution and, and like <laughs> a new yeah. industry that is the first time it's happened in, you know, like a lifetime. Um that, that stuff was just noise. It didn't really uh, affect my decision. I, I've, uh, like I said, I've always kind of worked in the cannabis space, um, n not professionally, but, um, you know, as an activist, as an advocate, mm -hmm. um, I've, I've seen the, the potential of it therapeutically with family growing up. Um, I've just kind of always been around it. It was somewhat normal. Um, and, 
I think the thing that's always still rubs me wrong is the, um, you know, the, uh, the way that it's kind of, um, seen by so many people still, um, the, the emotional baggage attached to it, whatever, whatever it may be. And so that's why I like gold leaf is because it has one foot in of the cannabis space and one foot out. And it, it kind of allows us to take that conversation assist in that normalization that deprogramming in in like the best possible way like i wanted to use something that i was good at uh which is you know design and in a way shaping perception um to to make um help make you know the cannabis space seem um you know more legit more um i I get not to keep using this term but more like uh science forward and um yeah you know, acceptable. I, I think science is, is the olive branch that a lot of people will accept when they um, mm-hmm. kind of learn about cannabis and learn about the potential there. Yeah, exactly. And, and helping to like overcome the stigma uh, to try to like push better conversations forward. Yeah, um, exactly. Do that. Yeah. And what were some of the lessons that you took from your prior experiences with Noble that uh, the you know, those sort of like major light bulb moments that you then carried on to how you built and managed Goldleaf? Yeah, it's not that complicated, but the simplest way I could put it is is just highly, highly value good design. Um, yeah. That it, it's people uh, will judge something very quickly. Um, and if your photography, your branding, uh, your website, your box whatever it may be mm-hmm. is kind of poorly done or poorly conceived uh they'll judge you on your weakest link and so yep. with gold leaf i i tried to always make sure that everything we presented to the world was done in a way that was you know in tune with the rest of it um and that's something i definitely learned from noble you know which did create higher end products um i you know again i, I mentioned this before but uh you know putting that design um, as like kind of like one of the main hallmarks and being okay with spending time and spending extra money to make it a little better. Um, Gold leaf stuff is, is certainly not for everybody. Um, You know, it's, it's for those people who are either maybe working in the industry. um, Maybe they're um, just passionate about it. They like to nerd out on the science behind things, whether it be the medical side, the cultivation side, um, and so we make stuff for those people. And because that, uh, that niche is so small, um, I feel like it affords us a little bit more capacity to kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. go all in with, with those design elements, um, and take those chances without worrying about alienating anybody. Yeah. And for anyone listening, that's not familiar with gold leaf, the style is very slick, you know, kind of like a minimalistic um you know very nice kind of modern style which is which is cool to see and dispensaries and and other uh companies in the cannabis industry are starting to adopt these things i'm starting to see posters and stuff around (laughs) uh, which is cool because it it does um you know getting on this this track of affecting perception Mm -hmm. um you know that's a huge part of this um process of trying to steer the ship away from all the stigma and and try to kind of I don't know, lower those guards down a little bit so that yeah. um, people can engage these things in a, in a more uh, kind of mature way 
Um, and so I've been really happy to see that. It's very professional, very, very slick, which is cool. And uh, what was, was, I know the patient journal came early on, but was that one of the first things that you did or what, what were the first uh, uh, prints that you did? Yeah, um, the first product that we released was our, um, was some of our cultivation stuff. It was the Grow Jotter. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that was the first one we did, um, shortly followed by the, the planner, which is like the, the bigger brother version. Um, and I kind of conceived of, of the medical side as like kind of the cornerstone of Goldleaf, but I really wanted to get it right. And so, yeah. you know, the first edition took a year to develop. I passed it through the hands of lots of um, experts in the space, uh, different doctors, RNs, um, uh people who who are working in the space either as like a bud tender or like a business owner um so i wanted to get that right out of the gates of course you know nothing's perfect um we're on our our 12th edition of the patient journal um (laughs) but uh so that one was kind of quietly getting developed in the background while the the cultivation stuff was a little bit more straightforward um Mm -hmm the information and the approach to those journals is obviously very different. Um, and it's not that much of a mystery. Um, there's a lot of things specific to cannabis gardens that we wanted to like capture and educate on, but that information is a lot easier to, um, kind of find and digest. Whereas the medical side, you know, as, as you know, it's very fractured. So, um, we had to, you know, vet sources, make sure we were, um, you know, focusing on, on like the right approach. Um, and you, you, we do need to get it right. We don't make recommendations like, well, we'll recommend something like we recommend that you pay attention to your body, um, right. yeah. stuff like that. But we're not saying like, um, we recommend that you start with five milligrams or something like that is just not what we do. Yeah. Um, so educating people about the bigger picture for cannabis is, is quite an endeavor. Um, you know, especially when you're, you're making something that is intended to be somewhat universal. Mm -hmm. So, um, in, in a lot of the work we do now, uh, we do a lot of B2B stuff like, so customizations and Mm, the vernacular that we have to adopt for a client in Canada is wildly different from what we'll do for somebody in Oklahoma or even California. Mm -hmm. Um, they'll use slightly different words, some different words you're not allowed to use. Um, Mm. For example, in Canada, they they much prefer uh, serving to dosing. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. Simple things like that to make it compliant. So uh, we've had to learn a lot about the different compliancy um, uh, issues with uh, whether it be Canada versus the U.S. or different states in the U.S. Um, so yeah, for that reason, uh, we kind of released our cultivation, our grower stuff first. Um, and kind of use that as, as a test case to see if people liked this, this like guided approach to journals. Um, and they liked the, the infographic nature of like artwork. Um, I always loved that stuff and it was still surprising to see how many people resonated with it, um, within like this very specific group of people (laughs) in, in the cannabis space. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, affirming and and awesome to to kind of see and know that these um that what we make is well received and it is enjoyed by people um who who do like to 
kind of nerd out on the data side of things a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. People like me that love uh, seeing, I, you know, I love a good graphical representation of, you know, uh, some complex idea or scientific topic or something like, yeah, that's always something that gets me excited. <laughs> yeah. And, me it, too. and it's important. I mean, as an educator, the need for good design like this is so critical. Cause I mean, that's something where like I fall incredibly short. And so I rely on people like yourself to take this information and be able to rearrange it, put it in a form that then, you know, someone walking by sees a poster and all of a sudden they're digesting information that they don't even have to necessarily read words. You know, sometimes just the layout, the way that things are structured um, on the poster is already communicating a lot. And that goes a long way to help people like myself that are uh, doing education um, to be able to, you know, help reach people sometimes if um, I'm having trouble kind of communicating or illustrating a certain concept. So I have a lot of uh, appreciation um, for what you're doing in that regard, um, for cool. sure. And so I know now you've got other things, like you have a cooking journal mm-hmm. um, and also uh, the cannabis taster. Um, so sort of like a, um, a user um, journal that's not necessarily so focused on the medical. Right. Um, which has been really cool. So can you describe a little bit of the uh, differences between these journals and, and kind of what people can expect if they, if they were to get one? Yeah, happy to. Um, so at Goldleaf, we've, we've kind of learned to, to break up our, our product releases into th- kind of three camps, three yeah. like subject bases. So like wellness, cultivation, and then experience-based. Um, and that's kind of where the cannabis taster and cooking journal fit in. Um, so the, the cannabis taster is kind of meant to be that, that item that you, you know, put in your backpack or suitcase when you go visit like Oregon or Colorado for like a can of tourist thing. Um, or if you just, you know, enjoy it. Um, I know, uh, the term recreation is kind of mixed, uh, anymore, um, adult use, whatever you want to call it, um, people who are, are more after the, the enjoyment. So like somebody who's going to visit, um, you know, different wineries or uh, going on a brewery tour or something. Um, and that's, that's a lot of folks. And, um, so the, the cannabis taster kind of focuses on that, uh, the, the, the different terpenes, the, um, you know, the flavors, the aromas, the experiences that you have from it. Um, you know, personally, I don't think there's a great difference between like somebody who uses cannabis for like therapeutic medical reasons versus a recreational reason. Uh, those lines are very blurry. I know that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, th- that said, like folks who don't have a condition that they're using cannabis for will probably get more enjoyment out of it um, just because that's the reason that they're using it. Yeah. And so that's what the, the taster is kind of meant to be a com- companion for. Um, whereas the cooking journal is kind of like a guided templated journal for cooking with cannabis that a lot of people love to experiment with. That's some people's preferred delivery method. Um, there's a lot of great devices out there like the Levo or the magic butter Mm -hmm. machine or something. And so this is, this is kind of meant to be a, a helper for those folks. Um, there's two sections in it. One for like your, uh, extraction recipes, um, where you'll make your your infused olive oil or your butter or whatever, yeah. and then 
the other type of recipe, which would be like your lasagna recipe or, or whatever you're gotcha. making. Yeah. Um, and then there's helpful info in there about, you know, shelf life of different fats, um, decarboxylation. Um, and my favorite part is, is like the, the terpene flavor pairings. So mm. what wines would, would pair well with certain terpenes yeah. or what, uh, what dishes, uh, naturally pair well, uh, whether it be like fish or, you know, white fish or certain, um, herbs de Provence or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that's really, that was a fun project. And we worked with a, a really great expert, um, the herb sommelier, uh, Jamie Evans. Um, she's, I think probably the, the, possibly the world's foremost expert, maybe just, um, this hemisphere, I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah. That's that's what she does, and it was really fun working with her and um, learning a bit more uh, for my part on on those types of flavor pairings, um, and then you know practicing some of them uh, in our home to, to see what we we thought of them. Yeah, and that's that's really cool that you're hitting all of these these different um, niches, and it makes me wonder like there are now these like cannabis tour groups, you know, in Oregon and Colorado and Washington and stuff, and I wonder if. Uh, hopefully if they're listening to this, they're, they become aware of like the, uh, the cannabis taster. Cause that'd be a really cool thing to partner with that to like give to people if they're going on these tours and trying so many things or yeah. like, like some of these events, um, you know, the cultivation classic, all these other things where, um, it would be nice for people to have, you know, something like that so they can actually keep track of everything. So it'll be highly unlikely they'll be able to remember everything that they <laughs> that they try yeah uh, that's the challenge <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's super fascinating and who are um you mentioned that when you were developing the patient journal that you pass it around to a lot of different doctors and rns and things mm -hmm. um do you have like an active scientific advisory board or do you have like a network of folks that you reach out to yeah um we we have both kind of so mm -hmm. um so many of the things we do are just hyper-specialized, um, you know, an expert in, in, you know, say like um, the brain or something wouldn't, mm -hmm. wouldn't obviously be a great choice to run something by that's, you know, in the, in the recreation or, or cultivation side. So uh, depending on, on the topic, we'll normally um, connect with a specific expert on the topic. So um some examples of that, like um, different art prints we do, normally we'll take like a, a sort of niche subject and then even get smaller, um, mm -hmm. you know, like micro dosing or um, uh, talking about the different, the different terms and um, uh, <laughs> I guess um, efficiencies and all that stuff of, of, of dabs and concentrates. Yeah. Um, a doctor uh, that we'd work with for maybe the patient journal or um, some like can, uh, like cannabinoid research would probably have nothing to say for right. that um, concentrates piece. So that's that's one thing I actually have found that I really like is uh, we can be pretty fluid and and meet and talk with all these different experts. Um, like we're connecting with um, a, a couple different hemp growers for a, a piece that we're working on for. Um, that kind of dives into the differences between like what people know as hemp or marijuana mm -hmm. versus 
full cannabis sativa. And, you know, it's, it's kind of all about the misnomer surrounding the words, the word choices of that stuff and um, biologically what is going on. Um, so those are, those are growers who work with like high CBD, what they would call like hemp plants. Um, uh, all that said, we do have somebody on our team who is our content czar, uh, we, we call him. Um, nice. He's uh, he's great. He's uh, got a, a background in research, has his MLS, um, and is kind of charged with making sure that our uh, sources are all vetted. Uh, we try to um, only kind of utilize primary source material. Yeah. Um, and so he's helpful on that front. Additionally, and this was kind of like the hard part that we had to solve, there's always new research happening, new things are learned, new things are coming out. What I remember being kind of the doctrine in 2016 is no longer something yep. that you, you'll even say. And, you know, depending on where you are in the country, they're either just learning about that now as truth yep. or it's a four letter word that you don't even say in this place, you know, like, so mm -hmm. if you're, if you're talking Southern California versus, you know, Kentucky, um, Oh yeah. Very different, uh, levels of understanding of things. So, um, another thing that, um, Alfonso will do will kind of, um, assist with our versioning, making sure like, okay, we, we learn this difference with how we're explaining, um, you know, mercy or something, we mentioned that in the patient journal. We mentioned that in these two uh, infographic prints and then these like educational pamphlets. So we have to update it in all of those places. Um, yeah. So he's kind of charged with keeping us up to scuff there. Um, we also work with um, Eminent Consulting uh, in Oregon um, for uh, certain topics. Um, they're, they're a great um, uh, group. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've if you run into them, Jason. I know that. I so Emma Chasen is one of them. Um, she's, yeah, she's, she's like a, a pretty great educator based in Oregon. Um, and so we'd had a lot of requests for breast milk, uh, information is, oh, yeah. is using cannabis while nursing a danger. What do we know about that? And mm -hmm. so, um, uh, our team was not able to find anything like validated or yeah, verifiable. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, that's when we would um, connect with them, uh, kind of give them the assignment to research that and see what um, what valid sources they could find and what the recommendations would be as far as like um, deliverable content that we can design around um, yeah. or explain around. And, you know, our findings were that there just isn't enough to do anything meaningful. So we didn't do that project. A lot of people wonder about that, myself included, but um you know, we really value our, one of the things that Gold Leaf does well, I think, is is take that extra step to make sure everything is valid. Um, that's the problem we're solving. So I want to make sure that we're solving it and not just making yeah. more confusion. And um, ethically, we're not going to release something that we can't, um, you know, validate. Yeah, so um, that was a case of one that never got off the ground. But is there standing by in case there's some studies that are released that do have, uh, in, you know, information or, or um, an interesting finding that we can um, kind of showcase in, in a way that is helpful to people? Yeah, that's, that's really refreshing, that approach, because, I mean, 
as you know, the the education in the cannabis space, there's a huge spectrum of quality. And uh, it's something I've, I've mentioned before that some of our listeners are probably going to say, oh, you're going to talk about this again. But um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a concept in science education that um, when it comes to science education, uh, learners and the public in general tend to um, want science to provide answers. And there's usually an assumption among the public that there are more answers out there than there actually are. Mm-hmm. And they tend to view um, people that can provide answers as authority. It's a, it's an issue in politics as well, that if someone's willing to just state something as a fact, um, a lot of people you know accept that and, and feel good about that. Whereas when you say, oh, we don't have a lot of information, don't quite know, um, it's sort of ambiguous. People feel a little more uncomfortable with that, that yeah. uncertainty. Um, but the the path towards high quality science education is you have to embrace that uh, what we don't know and that uncertainty and everything. And when the data is not there, you have to say we don't know, and you yeah. know, and and press forward and come back to it. And the um, issues around cannabis and pregnancy and fertility and breastfeeding and all of that is is one of those big dark areas or we don't have a lot of information there's some interesting studies that have gone on that have shown some uh you know possible correlations but then you see other studies that uh totally contradict those you know those other uh findings and so i'm i'm really happy that um that that's kind of your policy and i imagine having cuz i know just from some of my work and a lot of writing that I do and everything, that, that issue of things changing constantly and having to update things. I imagine that you're having to issue things in kind of um, small batches. Uh, <laughs> That's even the term that we use. Yeah, we, we do yeah. small batch productions for that exact reason. Um, I, I mentioned like the 12th iteration of the patient journal. Mm-hmm. Not all of that is like, oh, we about got to update this fact. Um, there There are some of those, sure. But in that case, some of them are are like the the layout and the UX of it. Um, yeah. We get feedback from some of our um, like medical partners, like, "Hey, could people are confused about this section? How are you recommending you fill it out?" And you know, little things that uh, seem obvious to um, one group, but is totally um, out there for another. Um, so the you know we'll we'll make those changes as we go, and that's one of the benefits of doing small batches is that uh, we can be kind of nimble when we have to like um, update something uh, there's not like 20,000 books sitting in a (laughs) warehouse somewhere that are are going to get recycled Um, so uh, yeah I mean apart from some of the I guess like pens and writing accoutrement that we have um, almost everything is is made in small batches and um, so that's, that's basically two jobs at Goldleaf that most companies, even in the print space, wouldn't need to have. We've, we've got, you know, the, the content czar person, and then we've got the um, kind of like the inventory manager that just needs to act quick and assist with those like reorders when, you know, we, we see those, see the need for it. Um, and then, you know, connect with the, the product devs to make sure like, hey, is this the latest version? Are there any changes with this iteration? Can we uh, go to print with this? Um, so it, it's kind of fun. Like that was, um, I enjoyed dialing in that part uh, with Goldleaf. Um, but it does sometimes feel like um, a lot of effort for um, 
you know, very small things, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the hope too is that at some point, um, those changes kind of become less and less frequent as things kind of start to get dialed into an optimum, Yeah. uh, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, maybe in like five years, (laughs) you you won't have small batches anymore. Um, (laughs) What's some of the feedback you've gotten? Uh, let's start, we'll kind of break it down because you've got so many different things. Starting with the patient journal, what's some of the feedback you've gotten from both patients and clinicians that have uh, worked with that and experienced it? Yeah, um, I would say like the most um, like meaningful feedback is is just that it um, it does make the whole process less intimidating to people. Um, our, our approach to... Um, to these journals is to not really show any stoner culture visuals, not mm-hmm. lean on those old terms. So we're using the scientific vernacular or we're explaining what the term is and that kind of clinical approach, but, you know, also kind of, kind of elegant, you know, like we do have that like kind of hipper modern look to them. Um, it does, it does diffuse their worries a little bit and, and it does, um, kind of, um, I guess, illustrate the importance of self-reliance as a patient. A lot of patients are used to going to your doctor and saying, I, I have this problem. What, what prescription are you giving me? How much should I take? How often? Tell me that straight up answer with, without any variation. And that's just not how cannabis works. So everybody has to learn that. And you have to for, for the probably the first time for most, you have to be okay with experimenting with your body. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just how it is. It's not that you're a, um, you know, a hippie in the 60s hearing that phrase that you see in film and stuff like, oh, we're just experimenting. You know, it, you got to get <laughs> right. that out of your mind and, and think, think of yourself as like a little laboratory and um there's no there's no real danger uh to these experimentations at worst you'll have like a uncomfortable evening but um you know at best you'll you'll feel amazing so um you know that that seems to be why a lot of um uh, doctors and clinicians like reach out to us is they want to encourage their patients to journal to be mindful of their own uh therapy but they don't want to um, develop something themselves. We, we hear a lot of people who do try to develop something themselves and realize how big of an endeavor that is. So <laughs> they'll, yeah. yeah, they'll connect with us to either, um, you know, buy some either via wholesale or um, very often they'll want to uh, add a little bit of their own branding on it. Um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of these doctors' offices, especially in. I guess, well, I'm not sure how California is structured right now, but um, at least in the Midwest, you're, you're kind of going to be an outlier as a, as a physician who uh, works with cannabis. And, you know, for that reason, they're not going to be part of larger medical groups. Um, so they're kind of business people, too. Um, I, I know that's kind of a, a dangerous waters you're getting in there. But um, for the most part, I don't think these physicians are going to be going down this route unless they do believe in the success of this type of therapy, uh, because it's more uh, profitable not to uh, a lot of the times. But, you know, for them to want to be able to have that quick contact info back to them 
um, or have their own brand on like one of our journals, that that's definitely something we provide. Um, they seem to like it um, for that reason. It's you know the patients are are interacting with these journals um, for normally like two to four weeks, um, and then you know honestly, it, I kind of feel like if you haven't learned what you're hoping to learn in that in that increment um you might there might be more going on um so you know that i know that that's not a good salesy thing for me to say but uh we no, don't have a realistic yeah right uh it, it's as simple as that like sure you can have other things come up like um i myself struggle with autoimmune problems and my symptoms have changed throughout my life so I can see a value of coming back to a journal and be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to, you know, use the scientific method and start, uh, start again and see if there's any differences that have changed in my body in the last five years. But for most people, you're going to have a pretty, pretty safe baseline of understanding at that point. And while journaling is still beneficial for a lot of other reasons, it's not necessarily going to be the one that's like, it's not going to, the main reason is not going to be what actionable um, stuff can I can I glean from um, maybe maybe these different delivery methods or these different dosing sizes? Um, mm -hmm. It might just be like it helps me to you know uh, unplug, write something down. Um, yeah. It helps me remember, um, and it helps me not be so anxious about it all. Um, yeah. That is totally cool too. Um, so. Yeah, your your original question, what are uh, kind of the physicians saying? It, it it's kind of that. It's they want to encourage uh, their patients to do that the journaling for one of those reasons. Um, and you know, we're often like uh, one of the easier ways to make that happen uh, in, in still kind of like a nice way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing that I always find interesting about cannabis is its propensity to. Um, Oh, hello, kitty cat. Yeah. <laughs> At first, when I first heard the meow, I thought it was my cats because my cats are like right outside the door. Okay. Yeah, he, he wants to go outside. He's yeah, okay. he, wants, he wants to be on the podcast, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I love about cannabis is that it tends to connect people to uh, sort of larger concepts that go beyond cannabis. And this using a journal to become more self-aware about how... Uh, something that you're choosing to engage is uh, affecting your body and, mm -hmm. uh, and your health conditions and stuff is something that I think um, is really exciting because this can be applied to anything. Um, it can be applied to foods and dietary supplements, all yeah. sorts of different things. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if um, the conversation, you know, kind of starts to expand, um, you know, well outside of cannabis and we start to see more, sort of like wellness journaling in general, I guess maybe yeah. that's a term to use for that. But, um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so that's something I, I find really exciting. And what about the, uh, so the grower journal, cause that was one of the, the first things that you put out. Uh, mm -hmm. what was the feedback you got from cultivators about that? Yeah. Um, people who, um, like, like to already journal in the garden. Um, I, I think like the, our, our journal supplies, like, find the the hobbyist and like the mid-size grows that's where they go yeah, yeah. they're not going to like any any larger commercial uh facilities sometimes those are digitized and we're not trying to compete with that we're just trying to 
um, you know, one part educate, one part like facilitate. Yep. Um, and yeah, so a lot of states that have like home grow ability or home grow provisions in their in their uh, laws, um, or um, you know, for people who who have like these these smaller grow uh, operations, they're either already keeping a journal or um, they want to be better at keeping a journal. Right. Um, so the idea there is that you're just kind of uh, more easily tracking stuff in your garden. And I say more easily because we have this templated approach to give you cues on what things you should be recording. Yeah. Like, uh, what's your IPM today? Mm-hmm. Um, is this, are, are you coming close to where you shouldn't be taking any, any more clones or any, any more uh, topping or anything like that? Um, just those little cues to help somebody visualize and plan their, like the full cycle of their garden um, from the various phases. Um, a lot of time is given to like the, the nutrient programs that anybody would use. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically it's, it, it's akin to any specialty journal you'd have. It's just made for cannabis gardeners. So the, the terms, the information, the cues are all wrapped around like that, uh, pursuit, um, you know, rather than, than just a, a plain blank journal or something. Um, and you know, I would imagine somebody who's been gardening for 10, 20 years, they, they probably are, are fine with um, either a blank journal or just a just like a laminated piece of paper that they right. that's like their holy grail, you know, for repeating yep. their success. Um, but you know, the fact is, is that like a lot of people are new to this still, um, and yes, yes. the people yeah. who aren't uh, new to it want to get better. Like I found that I I really actually like doing this. It's therapeutic to be in the garden and to watch this stuff grow. And, and I know the source of, of my medicine. Um, how can I make this better? And, uh, this is made for that, for, for helping those people understand what factors can actually make their, um, their grow better. Yeah. And, and my experience, um, between myself and, and friends of mine that are cultivators and everything, I've seen the, um, the highly disorganized notebooks, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that are floating around and you know uh, friends that'll say oh i know i did such and such so trying to flip through trying to figure out like where right. that information it's like they know the information's recorded but trying to find it and, and use it can be challenging so i imagine uh one of the big value adds is just that forcing that level of organization so that you can actually uh interact with your your information better exactly and, and with laws changing across the country um you know we're gonna have more and more people that have been interested in cannabis but didn't want to take the risk of getting into growing you know whether it be closet growing or actual like gardens mm-hmm. um that now are going to be getting into that and um yeah for those those hobbyists that really love it um i imagine it's going to be a a very valuable tool and that you know like you pointed out that demographic is, is actually going to expand over time yeah um so that's that's really cool. I can just from personal experience, I can see why that would be uh, extremely <laughs> extremely valuable. Yeah, cool. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, throughout mm-hmm. the past four or five years that you've been working on this, how has your sort of perspective around cannabis evolved? Because, uh, like you pointed out, in like 2015, 2016. It was a very different world compared to now in 2020, just as far as what we understand and some of the memes and yeah. uh, and knowledge that's floating around. So can you speak a little bit to that, just how your own perception about cannabis has evolved? Yeah. Um, 
when I started in on it, um, you know, I'm, I'm based in the Midwest. Um, I, I've spent time uh, out West and in the South, um, but my family's all in Ohio. So that's yeah. where uh, I kind of chose to settle. And, you know, that, that does shape your perception on things. Um, it seemed, it seemed like a dangerous choice. Um, when I started gold leaf in, in 2016, uh, because it was still pretty new. Like they're, um, I'm trying to think what, what States did have provisions at that time. Uh, I think it was just kind of the big ones. Mm-hmm. And, um, generally the, the, the overall like zeitgeist of the country hadn't, hadn't started shifting and adopting, um, like pro cannabis stances yet. But at this point it feels like that's a majority. Like Mm -hmm. I I work with a lot of, of people in our state for, for support stuff, like, you know, lawyers and accountants Mm -hmm. and delivery drivers for like shipping stuff. Um, and the, these are folks who are like, uh, conservatives and mm-hmm. um they i tell them what we do um i don't want them to feel like they're being tricked or anything so they're like what company do you work for and i tell them and i tell them what mm-hmm. we do and i've never once had anybody give me like the eye roll or anything <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that like um it, it's very positive like even even in you know conservative states um I think the sentiment toward it has shifted and continues to shift yep. to where I think it's going to be hard to find people who are against it. And those there, there may, you know, may even be the same amount of people who are like against alcohol or something. Um, yeah. So that, that's been the biggest thing I've noticed since I've been working with gold leaf is, is just over time, people are just getting uh, more and more accepting and and that's that's refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know if you know or not, but I'm originally from Mississippi and grew up in the South my whole life. I moved out to Oregon about seven years ago or so. Um, I've been extremely surprised to see how much has changed in the Southern states mm-hmm. um, since I left. Um, now, when I talk to people back home and tell them what I do and what I'm involved in and everything, I've had the exact same experience where I expect like some scoffing or yeah. uh, jokes to be made, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, or, um, you know, that a more negative response, you know, of, um, you know, like people actually, you know, having that stigma come up and, and really, um, putting up a wall. But, I've been really pleasantly surprised that people that I never thought would voice support for cannabis have, um, you know, sort of accepted that. And um, the widespread sort of change around hemp has really helped with that. Oh, yeah. You know, people have learned about CBD and they realize that these plants, it's all the same plant and different chemical (laughs) profiles. And that really goes a long way to, you know, kind of break that. But even with, um, you know, around the topic of THC, um, I've noticed that I'm it the uh, the people that you know are really vehemently against it. It's it's getting harder and harder to find those people. They're you know few and far between these days, um, which is it's it's kind of amazing how fast that happened. Yeah, it it is. I, I mean, you bring up THC. I, I think like that is actually going to be the next hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've. I've worked with a lot of companies like this and we do get requests for like 
uh, white label and like custom work. So we do yeah. like uh, custom infographics and stuff. And they want us to show how THC-free CBD products are superior to oh, full spectrum. And they're they're not really. <laughs> so yeah, I, it, we can't take we don't do those. Um, and uh, that and but but I see their existing branding, their existing messaging, mm-hmm. and it's all about you know them being based in a place like Kentucky where right. That's the only thing that they can sell and, and they can produce there. So if, if they want to, um, you know, broadcast like this was grown, uh, you know, in our home state and it's the superior health stuff. It's great for sleep and stress and, you know, this snake oil, basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's probably a harsh term, but you get my point. Like yeah, sure. they, they can lean on any, anything that people have said about cannabis and say that this is the same just without the THC. Right. And they're just totally missing it. And I think that as this business grows, it's it's definitely been harder to regulate. Um, that's going to be the next challenge is now deprogramming like bad medical advice from businesses, not from, you know, doctors and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, that, that's my worry. And I, I kind of see like the THC argument, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. People have been adverse to it. And then they're like, maybe it's not so bad. And I kind of see the danger of them thinking like, you don't even need it. Why even have it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. Kentucky's one of these places. It's good you brought that example up because hemp had been going on in Kentucky uh, for a long time. Yeah. And they were, I remember being at a cannabis science conference back in, um, it might've been 2016 or 2015. Um, and I heard someone from Kentucky present, and they were talking about how they um, isolate THC and remove it from CBD extracts. And and at the time, I mean, there there were people doing that, but people in Kentucky specifically had been doing that for a while of trying to figure out how to make these THC-free products. And so in a way, they were like a leader in some of this <laughs> extraction technology yeah. and, and, and how it was used. But in another sense, the point you're bringing up is it's it's forcing a market to produce a product that may be inferior to um, uh, products that are allowed to at least have a little bit of THC in them. Right. Um, and you know, ideally, it, like the it's going to be interesting to see how the hemp thing plays out because even like the 0.3 percent limit, now that the farm bill has defined that as total THC. And states are kind of like resisting adopting that for as long as possible. But once they have to, um, I had a really good interview. I haven't released it yet, but an interview with uh, Kevin McKernan from Medicinal Genomics. And, you know, he was basically presenting the case that it may not be biologically possible uh, to have crops that are going to succeed in that environment. Because even if you were to remove the gene responsible for producing the enzyme that would produce THCA, um, enzymes are not perfect. So like the, the, uh, the, or the genes are not perfect. So the genes for CBCA and for CBDA, they can produce THCA as well. And it's not hard to hit that 0.3% threshold. And so then you get into these games where you're like, well, I have to harvest early. I have to, you know, do these different things to try to hit it. And really the rational response would be, we need to bump that number up, you know, and we need to have a serious discussion of like, how much THC um, could we allow without presenting some sort of 
public health risk um, in these products, um, especially if they were to get to kids or, or something like that. Yeah, right. Kind of like the the alcohol content in a in like a, a candy or a yeah um, or a kombucha or something. Exactly right. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good analogy. Yeah, it's like we, yeah, even in the alcohol space, we allow small amounts of alcohol in some products that a, a child very well might drink. Um, yeah, but you know, it's in it's in those concentrations that um, generally don't have to worry about negative adverse effects. But right, yeah, um, and on this note of like watching the industry and, and where it's going and everything and your personal interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you hope to see over the next, um, let's just say five or 10 years, especially like in the Midwest where you are in Ohio. Cause I know the, yeah. the laws have changed substantially just in Ohio over the past few years. Yeah. Um, how do you, well, I guess one, I'm in, just personally interested what the, um, cannabis environment is like in Ohio and what do you kind of hope to see over the next several years as it as it evolves yeah I I mean I'll I'll answer like the general stuff and then I'll I'll tell you how Ohio is doing right now um so generally I I think the best thing for for everybody will be to cleanly just decriminalize um I I think descheduling cannabis uh entirely will do so much for the the business side of stuff. I mean, that'll open the gates. I mean, this is the reason at least that so many banks, insurers, credit card processors won't touch it because they could risk their like federal insurance. Um, So if you, if you change that, then that will make it like a true white hat business uh, where you don't have to use like these credit card processors that, have you know 10% swipe rates or whatever it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and you know moreover like so we we have so many chat we're seen as somebody who produces cannabis like by the internet so we ha- we're straddled with like wow. red tape and and problems with google and pinterest and amazon yeah. and everybody it's it's not really any different just because those words exist on our site the bots mm-hmm. flag them and there's no central people in charge in these companies anymore. Yeah. Like if you want to talk to somebody at Google or somebody at Amazon mm-hmm. or Facebook, it's it's going to be a small department somewhere else in the world. You'll never get them on the phone again if you do in the first place. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody that they can say like, you know, what, this guy had a good point. Can we fix this for him? You know, like right. there's yeah. no central decider. Um, and so they just need to change their algorithms and stuff. And that's only going to happen if there is, um, you know, uh, the change to the schedule of cannabis in general. So that's the number one thing I hope happens. Um, the legalization thing, I mean, I- I'm perfectly content to s- have people leave that up to the states. Um, I think that almost every state will adopt it pretty quickly once mm-hmm. they see, you know, the dollar signs in their eyes for tax revenue. Um, and... So I, I, I kind of see as that, that being like a domino effect with the descheduling. Um, I don't think the feds need to necessarily legalize it outright, although, you know, if they want to, they can. Uh, it just seems like that'd be a chaotic way to do it, even for somebody who's like pro-cannabis uh, reform and stuff. So that, that's kind of like what I hope to see in, in uh, preferably the somewhat near future. Um, and... And then, you know, like you see that domino effects with the states, 
places like Ohio will just have to throw out the model that they have. So the way it is in Ohio right now is, is kind of depressing, um, at least for a company like Goldleaf. Um, it's not a controlled monopoly like we almost had in 2015. That would have been bad too. Uh, it's, it's more like a kind of controlled monopoly. It's still, it's <laughs> a still, touch. yeah, light touch. Like there's a few more players, but the barrier to entry, you know, is so mm -hmm. exceedingly high that it's not really, and you know, and there's, there's permit limits. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's one dispensary that's going to be serving like a hundred square mile area so that nobody can encroach on that. Um, wow. so the, that stuff I think could even change earlier, you know, than, um, five years, uh, just from ballot initiatives, which I know, uh, people have been, you know, drumming that up. I, I kind of wished it was present for the 2020 uh, election, just because I think, um, there's going to be high voter turnout and almost everybody is pro cannabis. So, yeah. um, but it doesn't look like that'll happen in this state. Um, but yeah, the, the, my concerns with Ohio were medical only. Um, you have this kind of strange monopoly system with people who set laws who don't understand them, like the provision that you cannot smoke cannabis for your therapy. Yeah. You can vaporize it. That's fine. Don't smoke wow. it. Uh, there, wow. it. It's impossible to stop somebody from doing that. They, they literally right. dispense flour. I, you know, right. like, I'm, yeah, I'm speechless, but... <laughs> I, I went to those um, to those like town halls and and the logic was, look, there were some people who were not going to approve this unless we put this measure in place. And it, it's yep. like, why though? It's unenforceable. So right, <laughs> it, just words on a page. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't think that um, combusting cannabis is always the most healthy option. But right. there are reasons somebody would do it if if because you you it hits your bloodstream super fast, you know, vaporizers are fine too, but you're just kind of, I don't know if you have this libertarian stance, uh, which mm -hmm. some of the people who made these decisions do, it's kind of like against that. So it, it's just surprising. Yeah, um, you know, and for that reason, other rules, like, um, these, these different producers have to produce a certain amount, like that's in their provision. They've mm -hmm. got to do it. So what happens if you get hit with like uh, mold or, you know, aphids or something, they, they can risk losing their license if they don't still wow. put it wow. out. They're encouraged. They're going to be encouraged to make like higher um, yielding, uh, or, you know, growing higher yielding cultivars instead of these nuanced ones that might be better for specific ailments. So you're, you don't see the variety here um, that you would elsewhere. Um, again, that is due to the way that the laws are written. So I guess in Ohio, I'd, I'd kind of like to see us try something different. Um, the one thing Ohio likes to, to say is that we're the only state who legalized cannabis without a ballot initiative. It was our state Congress who did it. So yeah. like the, there, there, there was a political maneuver involved, but technically that is true. Um, and yeah, that that's a positive. Like somebody who's who's uh, progressive minded, that that's kind of who you want your your governing officials uh, mm -hmm. to be. But 
this case there's just a, there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of confusion among the public and the results are not patient forward so i don't i don't like that and that's why i'm going to i'm going to be uh helping and uh advocating for changes to that when we get the next ballot initiative um in, unless something happens federally to be a game changer before that yeah, gosh, that is so fascinating. So there's this incentive to not only reduce diversity, but potentially push product out that's lower quality. Um, are there uh, testing requirements in Ohio? Yeah, there are. Um, there are, but hilariously, um, they were a little behind. For example, when the Farm Bill passed, um, they did not have any testing facilities in place to test for the THC. And they, um, so for a few months, they were directed to not arrest anybody for cannabis because they couldn't prove it wasn't hemp. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that Texas was in that same similar situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there are testing requirements. So obviously, if, if like a, a bud is uh, lousy with mold, uh, mm. that would fail. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, of ways to kind of circumvent a, yes. a disaster in the garden that does not make a better product, you know, and plus it's okay to fail. Like, Oh, we had this, you know, this, this huge problem with the grow and we lost 80% of our crop. Let's do, let's tweet, make some tweaks to our, uh, you know, grow operation. It won't happen again. Now we're better off for this. That's, that's how businesses yeah. work. You don't need to punish them on a permit level, you know, right, right, uh, for, exactly. for like violating their terms of service or something. Um, that's just not, I just don't see why that's helpful. Um, I think the reason was they wanted to make sure the supply was available. Sure, yeah. yeah. Then you give out more permits, you know, let's let the market kind of right. <laughs> decide. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, we see in um, pretty much every state that that legalizes, you know, there's always this wave that hits where uh, the supply is often exhausted in the uh, in the beginning because there's it's you know it's a new thing and yeah. more people are going to show up all at once to uh, to buy it, um, but then it normalizes. Yeah, and um, you know to an extent. I mean, in Oregon, there's this debate over whether or not we have an overproduction problem, and some right. people on one side of the issue say that that's you know a uh, sort of a mistaken perception because the quote unquote overproduction is a lot of like low quality material that shouldn't be on the market anyway. Yeah. And then yeah. other people that, you know, uh, disagree with that, but um, that's an interesting perspective. And yeah, you don't ever want to create a situation where a cultivator is having to think about like, okay, we've got this material that really isn't great, but we really need to get it to market uh, just so that we can stay in business mm -hmm. because of, you know, uh, just that sort of like permitting rule. That's a really, yeah, it's a really awkward dynamic to create. And it, yeah, it's not, um, it's, it's not good for the consumer. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. And the consumers in Ohio know that. Um, yeah. I, I, I spoke with a few, uh, of the growers in, in this region of Ohio and, um, you know, I want them to succeed. And, and these are people who are largely hired by the the owners and stuff like the, the yeah. master grower is not the one who owns the business, yep. you know, cause again, like $4 million buy-in or whatever. Um, so this one guy was just expressing frustration. He's like, well, 
we just we just delivered our first uh you know batch of product to the dispensaries and i was like well, how, how'd it go and he's like you know not great lot, pretty much everything had seeds in it and <laughs> it's just like yeah. i know you didn't want that but <laughs> you're on a timeline right. aren't you so exactly yeah i gotta press forward hope for the best for the future yeah yeah, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, and the the you know, what you're talking about the the buy-in cost that reminds me of like like 2014 or 15 or so when Florida's uh uh they passed some legislation, but the uh, the bids for permits it was in the millions of dollars. So you had like four people that applied. Yeah, uh, you know, and um, there was all of this political influence involved and everything as far as who got those permits and um. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. It's it's kind of nice though that we have this patchwork of legislation in the United States because we can learn. Mm -hmm. We can see the different ways that states are trying to go about things and try to um you know, like you said on ballot initiatives or whatever, try to um synthesize, you know, the best of of all of these different ways of of legislating and try to come up with a better system. And, you know, California's in this weird situation because they did that. They looked at the ways that Oregon and Washington and Colorado were regulating things, and then they kind of went, like, to an nth degree of precaution. Um, their, uh, their rules were pretty restrictive mm -hmm. uh, in trying to protect quality and consumer safety and everything. Um, and now there, there's a debate there of how should they loosen up and how how loose sh should they get um and so it's it's fascinating and then oregon was sort of like in the middle um they did they did things a little tighter than like colorado or washington but um now they're trying to tighten things more uh these days um especially on the testing because that's what i've been the most involved in uh, sure. testing labs and everything but it's fascinating you know we'll have to keep our eyes open to see what more states do and it's unfortunate though that when you realize the system's bad that you have to wait so long in or you know to get some hope of change like oh right. great we'll wait four years <laughs> or like for a ballot initiative like great now we got to go collect how many signatures and yeah. try to make sure it's on there but um but yeah it's going to be a process i'm excited mississippi has a ballot initiative this year uh for oh, medical nice. um yeah it's a weird situation they got um so they got all these signatures to prove a what seems to be a pretty reasonable um, medical law. And then um, the governor at the time fought it tooth and nail and the health department fought it. And, but then it got on the ballot. So their response was, well, we'll create alternative initiatives um, that people will vote on. That'll be far more restrictive. But when you read the descriptions, they all seem the same. And so yeah. essentially kind of confusing the voter uh, so that they don't know which measure they actually like put their signature to and supported. Um, and so I see those types of games going on too. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that is unfortunate. They, they did something like that in um, back in 2015 uh, when we had our ballot initiative, there was a second initiative right below it that basically, if the basically blocked the one before it, right. It's like, yeah. so, <laughs> Uh, and and actually, that one wasn't a bad one. It was basically like, Cong or we shall pass no law that grants monopolies or something. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's like, all right. Sounds, sounds good. Okay. Yeah, it, which it does. Yeah. I mean, we don't really want that. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I know we've been going for over an hour now, so I want to try to 
come back around and give you a few um, questions to start to close us out. I really appreciate okay. you being willing to talk for so long today. Yeah, sure. It's been great. Uh, one kind of simple question I wanted to ask you is uh, when it comes to the posters, mm-hmm. what has been your favorite one to put together? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, I, I'll, I'll just rattle off two. Sure. Uh, one of them is an infographic. The other one was like a really fun collaboration. So the infographic that kind of stands out as being fun uh, to me was was the um, the history of cannabis as medicine timeline. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, it basically is a timeline of, of major uh, discoveries or moments in cannabis uh, history um, where it had been used as medicine throughout time. Um, and it goes back like 5,000 years. So I, I loved that it's so rich in like Judeo Christian history and Ayurvedic, Mm -hmm. um, healing and, and traditional Chinese medicine. Um, I mean, people always, you even see t-shirts of this, like how old alcohol is and and fermentation and all that. Cannabis is just as old, if not older. Um, it has, has it had human trials? Well, it has been used with humans, cultivated by humans, uh, bred specifically by humans for almost longer than any other thing. Um, so that's what this one kind of captures. And I, I just love that from like the optics of it. Um, people don't realize how old it is. They think like oftentimes like it was maybe around in the fifties, but it was something that, you know, people would do in, in maybe the sixties, at least in America, that's, that's kind of, a common belief um as the beatniks and the hippies yeah and you'll sometimes see like those old like bottles of like you know dr uh birkinshaw's uh hemp miracle (laughs) something from like 1898 or something yeah but um yeah and honestly that was could have been better medicine than whatever else he was selling too (laughs) but uh (laughs) um yeah i just love that um doing the research was pretty fun um and it's it's kind of rewarding to show that to to people who are very religious and mm-hmm. who use that reli- their religious beliefs as a reason to be uh, opposed to cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, now you know being opposed to something because you don't think because you, you think your body is a temple is one thing, but saying that it has no merit and it has no place in and history is, is just factually inaccurate. Like, yeah. um, you know, there, there were technically, I mean, technically like Jesus Christ, uh, mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, a, an advocate and, and user in, in some extent of this type of material for, um, ceremony. It yeah, is like what anointing the, uh, oil. yeah, it, it's what they would, um, uh, uh, Hebrews would use. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's just really, uh, really fun to talk about. So, um, it's like conversation starter. Um, and it, it is kind of an outlier with our like line of prints, which do kind of normally focus around the science of it. This is more like the, the history. So that one was cool. Um, the other one I, I really like doing was, uh, kind of a newer one. Um, we, we did this, um, this travel series where uh, we wanted to, you've seen those like vintage travel posters of, you know, like Paris and whatever. So we wanted to do some that were underhandedly like cannabis related. 
So it's not like big, bold, big weed plants, cannabis. It yeah. was like, you look, you're like, oh, that's a cool vintage looking print. And you get closer and you're like, wait a second, this is about <laughs> cannabis. That's yeah. what I wanted. Like, that's the a, approach that I wanted, like draw them in and um, then, you know, show it as being like normal and just like, it's always been here. And yeah. the, the one I'm thinking of in particular was the Southern California one. Uh, Cause we worked with uh, an artist mm -hmm. that I I've always loved. She's from Argentina and she did this like where's Waldo type thing where there's folks on a beach, um, you know, beautifully illustrated, but there's like um, I think 22 or 24 hidden uses of cannabis in there. Um, wow. The people are not hiding it. They're not like being secretive, but um, you know, there's like a, a shape of like a geometric uh, pipe in, in the hillside, you know? So there's mm -hmm. all these like little things to find and stuff. And um, we actually did a, a collaboration with uh, Last Prisoners Project with that print. Um, and that's something we'll do too, um, where all, all the proceeds we, we make, we, um, you know, are, are earmarking those to donate to a charity. Uh, Last Prisoners Project is one who kind of fights for people who are still wrongfully imprisoned for cannabis. Maybe the laws have changed and those people have not been released yet. Yeah, that's yeah, what they work yeah. on. And uh, I really love that. Uh, the, the SoCal print is definitely like um, uh, socially geared, uh, which mm -hmm. is also sort of a new subject for us. Um, it has it talks about the social elements of cannabis rather than than like the, the health or, or wellness mm -hmm. portions. Um, so it, it felt right to kind of pair that with a charity that um, is active in in like the uh, social political side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, and you know, I I didn't have to do a lot of design on that one, but it was um, really cool to kind of work with with our uh, art directors and and um, Eugenia, who is that artist, um, to kind of kind of do something new for us. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating, and you know, even getting into the you know the cultural societal side of things, you know, we often don't think of that as science, but I mean, it is sociology. You know, it, sure you know, is still kind of in that vein. It's something I'm um, sort of struggling with because um, so many people that I interview just because they're in my circle tend to be like doctors or researchers or something, but I have been branching out my interviews and I, I got a, uh, someone asked me recently, they were like, aren't you a science podcast? And I'm like, well, uh, one, the podcast is about exploring critical ideas and and questions about cannabis and everything um but i mean culture society stigma all these different things i mean that is still uh science it's just maybe not how you normally think of it yeah um but it is part of this this grander picture i mean how people are are relating and and interacting with this plant and in its many forms and um and the the whole idea of what's happening to people in prison is something I think about a lot because I think about um, all of the people from Mississippi that I know growing up that got arrested, you know, have dealt with uh, records. I have a friend of mine that's been, uh, so one thing that's big in Mississippi and maybe it is in Ohio too, are uh, late night checkpoints. Uh, they call them sobriety checkpoints, but uh, the main reason that people uh, get into trouble in these checkpoints is usually for cannabis mm. uh, because of the smell. And uh, so I have, several friends of mine that have been arrested 
um, that the cops, once they've been arrested, they start to get targeted. Um, mm. and so they start to get pulled over a lot um, and basically getting harassed. And then there's basically areas of Mississippi they can't go to anymore because they know that if those cops are still working there, that you know if they see them, they'll get pulled over and get hassled. And Wow. Um, and I think about people that, you know, one of the things that we need to, I think, talk about a lot more when it comes to changes to cannabis law is expunging records, letting yeah. people out. Um, it, you know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, there are some states that have started to try to bring that in when they change their laws uh, mm -hmm. and try to change people's records and everything, but it's not being talked about nearly enough. Um, and yeah, it's I something agree. that I think um, for some people, especially like out here on the West Coast, there's a very big cultural difference that I'm still getting used to where uh, people out here are so accustomed to the risk and the overall like acceptance of cannabis in the culture um, that they don't even really have to think too much about like, you know, what would happen if I got caught with a half gram of cannabis in my car? You know, like that's just not even something that's in their mind. Whereas in Mississippi, you know, that's something that people live with, you know, it, it, like their whole life could be ruined uh, over something so small. Uh, one of my friends got arrested just for a pipe. They, he didn't even actually have cannabis in his car, but because he had paraphernalia, yeah. um, went, to, went to jail for that. Um, and so it is something I think that, um, needs to be talked about more. So it's great to hear that, um, <clears throat> that gold leaf is working to support nonprofits that, you know, are, have, uh, those sort of intentions. I, I didn't realize that, um, before talking to you, but that's, that's really, really awesome. Really glad to hear that. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, no, totally. And, uh, final question before we sign off here, uh, mm -hmm. what's kind of on the, uh, short-term horizon for gold leaf? Yeah, so this, um, I guess this next uh, interval of, of uh, creativity that <laughs> that we're uh, we're dealing with is is we're kind of circling back to the cultivation side a bit and doing uh, we're going to be kind of refreshing uh, some of our our botany work and our um, scientific illustrations. Um, so we're working. We've got these like infographic card packs that are. Mm. Um, kind of like a, a nice like companion to any of the journals uh they're you know quicker to kind of reference key things that would be important to you um and so we're finishing up um um new a new kind of pack for cultivators that has a lot of like cool infographics and uh information and metrics about things that growers often want to see um and then with that we've got um yeah, some new some new illustrations that we'll be releasing. So these these will be uh, informative. Um, while there is like illustrations and artwork, they are kind of meant to be um, uh, kind of more um, static learning tools um, sure, yeah. rather than you know like the Eugenia Mello piece I mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're uh, going to be spending some time. Um, those those take a while to develop, uh, just mm -hmm. because they're all kind of hand drawn. Um, we we use a couple different illustrators, and it's just kind of a, a longer process than some of our other artwork that uh, starts and ends inside of a computer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I look forward to to seeing all those updates and everything. And cool. Um, one thing that I'm hoping to do soon is start, to, I used to have these workshops that I would teach that were like eight weeks long and kind of 
designed to be kind of like college level before there were college classes on cannabis. Now they're starting to pop up everywhere. But um, I'm wanting to re-engage those. So one thing I'll be looking at is some of your materials to see what I can integrate into cool. um, some of my classes and everything. So we'll be in, in touch on some of that. Nice. Yeah. Reach out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so at this point, you know, I'm going to kind of hand the platform over to you. If there's anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure listeners hear, feel free to say it. If not, um, just let people know um, where to find Goldleaf, where to learn more about you. If you have a social media presence or any of that, just go ahead and plug yourself. The platform okay. is <laughs> Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, the best place to kind of uh, see what we do is our website. Um, you can go to uh, shopgoldleaf.com or goldleaf.org. Um, takes you to the same place. Uh, on, uh, on social media, um, I really enjoy our Instagram and Pinterest uh, mm -hmm. channels just because they're the most visual uh, yeah. and the most kind of fun for us. So on, uh, on Instagram, we're at goldleaf without the O, so G-L-D-L-E-A-F. Gotcha. Um, and Pinterest, um, it's slash goldleaf um, underscore. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. And those are, those are two kind of, uh, fun spots for social media stuff. Um, I, I have kind of mixed feelings about social media, but I do like the visual elements and stuff. So I would recommend checking this out there. Um, I also do some, uh, some writing for a green entrepreneur. So if you're interested, if you have a business and you're interested in like, um, some of the, the design and digital side of stuff. Um, we have some, uh, cool articles, uh, on that platform. Um, yeah, I, I think those are the big ones. Thank you, Jason. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. I've really enjoyed our, our conversation and, um, it's cool to talk to someone else that is, uh, in a different state, you know, like Ohio, that's dealing with, uh, all of those, those changes. Very fascinating and a, a pleasure to meet you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you it. as well. Thanks so much. Yeah, totally. So those listening or watching, if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, you can go to CACpodcast.com. All the episodes and information about our contributors and everything are there. Um, and you can also find us on social media or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Curious About Cannabis. You should be able to find us. And also check out our YouTube channel, and you can find clips and full-length interviews um, like this. So thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. Stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.